I hope you love the sound of God's Word being read because our broadcast today will begin with some extended readings from that Word. Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, the Bread of Life Church. You can learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Jesus Christ is the King of the Nations. The sixth antiphon, or short hymn of the ancient church, addressed him accordingly. Today, we'll begin to consider his kingship and envision its final and fullest expression over a new heaven and a new earth. I want to read to you a number of verses this morning, and I'm going to start by reading to you Jeremiah 10, verses 6 through 7. Jeremiah writes, There is none like you, O Lord, for you are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due, for among all the wise ones of the nations and all their kingdoms, there is none like you. I'm going to have you go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it's verses 13 through 16. Timothy writes this, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time or he will show forth at the proper time who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So that's a great doxology that Paul puts at the end of his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Now, go to Revelation chapter 17. Most of our time this morning will probably be spent in Revelation chapter 17, but we're actually going to be looking at a number of verses this morning. I'm going to read you two more passages, both of these from Revelation chapter 17 and one from Revelation chapter 19. Verse 14, we just simply read this. We're coming to the end of the age. We're coming to the end of the prophecy that's found in Revelation, drawing to the conclusion, the end of all things, and the summing up of all of human history. And there it says, speaking of a great conflagration and battle that will take place that will be set down by the Lord himself, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords, and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now go to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Here's the vision that John has. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we've read four different passages here from Jeremiah, from 1 Timothy, from the book of Revelation, two passages written by the Apostle John. In those first two passages, if you look at it in Jeremiah chapter 10 and also in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it seems clear to me that the subject there is 
God the Father. What was spoken of is that God that is, dwells in unapproachable light that no one has ever seen and that this God is declared as the ultimate high king over all nations and all earthly rulers. But then we read Revelation and from that passage where in the first two passages you basically have a description of the divine, heavenly, eternal Yahweh, the unending, everlasting God as the king of all nations and the king of kings and lord of lords. In Revelation chapter 17 and Revelation chapter 19, we then have this same designation of the highest king or king of kings and lord of lords identified as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the lamb. He's the word of God. And in these passages, he's arriving at the end of the world age to rule upon the earth and to bring God's wrath and final judgment upon the nations and upon those rulers of the earth who have not bowed to him nor obeyed to him and to accomplish God's divine purposes and finalize them in human history. So the Lord Jesus arrives and gives a visible expression of the sovereign rule of the King of Kings over all of the earth. And one of the things we see here is that this is the destiny that is waiting for the earth. This is the moment in which there is a capstone on all of world history and it will not end with a whimper. It will not end with the nations in just complete decay and disillusion. It will conclude, as we look at this passage, and if we're able to take our Bibles and start in Revelation chapter 19 and then read on into Revelation chapter 20, it will conclude upon a golden period of, we're told, 1,000 years, in which Christ will reign in righteousness as King of kings and Lord of lords over all the earth. And he will at that time demonstrate the power to merge together the holy spiritual rule and reign that he brings to transform hearts and then infuse it into the body politic and governance that takes place over all the nations. The Bible not only says that he will rule, but it says we'll reign with him and rule with him. And he'll establish this rule and this reign over all of the nations and all the human societies and earthly societies of the earth. Then after this, the Bible tells us and reveals that this kingdom that he will establish and rule over all the earth, the Son will then give up to the Father, and then as the triune God, they will rule together forever and ever over a remade heaven and a remade earth throughout all eternity. So there's a very quick historical overview of what's ahead for us and what's coming. My purpose this morning is I want you to consider a couple things. I want you to consider the nations. Our title of our sermon is, O King of the Nations. That was the sixth antiphon or declaration of the Messiah as King of the Nations. And I want you to consider the nations and the promised destiny that the King of Kings is going to bring to them. And then I want you to consider how it is that Jesus Christ ascends to be recognized as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he is first declared to us, he's the God who dwells in unapproachable lights that no one has seen at any time. And and now the Lord Jesus appears as the one who demonstrates and shows them forth and the designation rests upon him. The Lamb as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Word of God, which John reveals to us in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we want to see and understand how it is that the Lord Jesus rises or ascends to this position of King of Kings over the nations. And... So this is going to be a brief overview. Hopefully what it will provide is a mind, open up a mind for you 
in which you'll be able to mine out precious jewels and truths that will bless you and inform you and speak to you in days ahead. But this will be, I'm not saying the amount of time I'm going to take is going to be brief. I'm just saying in comparison to what I want to share with you, this is going to be a brief overview. So let's look at this very quickly. And first let's consider the nations and the promised destiny that the king of kings will bring to them. To do this, we actually have to go to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abram, who becomes Abraham, who becomes the father of the people of Israel. And God gives Abram a promise in the first three verses of Genesis 12 that he is going to bless Abraham and that from him will rise up a great nation and he will bless that nation and he will prosper that nation and then from them he will bless all the families of the earth. And then if you go on and read on, you'll see that God renews this promise to Abraham and he expands it and explains it and gives greater and greater detail throughout the next 10 chapters. In Genesis chapter 18, God again comes to Abraham and he kind of explains a little more what he means by blessing the families of the earth or at least he defines better what he means by the families of the earth because there he says, Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. All the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. And then in Genesis chapter 22, verses 17 through 18, God again repeats this promise to Abraham and this is what he says. Blessing, I will bless you. I'm going to bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, this is the promise that God has given to Abraham. He promises, I am going to bless you and I am going to make a nation of you and I am going to bless that nation. And then, basically, when you read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament, what you find is a, an extensive exposition and explanation and development and the details of that blessing that he's planning for the nation of Israel and that he's going to pour upon them. That's the primary focus. There's somewhat, but not a lot, of information, at least throughout the Old Testament, of the blessings that will come upon the nations but there are and there is developed a very clear picture of the blessings that will come upon the nation of Israel that God wants for them, that God is planning to give to them. And it includes the blessing of a prosperous and a growing national people and group of individuals that will rise from Abraham. Then given to them is the promise of land that they shall occupy and inhabit. And then there's the promise in that land of productivity and of fruitfulness that will come upon them and then upon that land ultimately we see that God is going to give them over that land and that extensive kingdom that will be established a king that will reign over them in perfect righteousness and he will spread his righteousness and the infusion of the experience of the righteousness over all the people in deep and tremendous blessings and we're told that this king will reign over them and from them over all the earth and his reign will have no end. It will last forever and ever and ever. And all of this comes to Israel. Blessings of a great nation and a great and extensive people that will come. Blessings of a land very specifically identified to them that they will inhabit and inherit. Blessing of great fruitfulness in that land and productivity in that land and then the infusion of righteousness over that land that will be distilled upon it with all of its benefits of peace and a blessing 
of a king that will rule and reign over them, bringing that righteousness to them. And you see, all of this is extrapolated, or is all of this is explained as the blessing, or is identified as what God meant when he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the nation that rises from you. And then we have this description of all the blessing that entails, all that that entails, all that's coming to them. And Now, this is what, if you look at the scriptures, this is what was called a grant covenant that God was making with Abraham and with his people. It's like a king that would come to an individual and say, listen, I'm going to give to you and to all of your family and to your inheritance a great tract of land and you're going to be able to occupy it and live in it. I'm going to let you be able to take all the fruit from it and sustain your lives and enrich your lives with it. And let's say he gives that promise to that man, but that man then goes out and he rebels against that king. And he doesn't obey that king and he turns from that king. Well, the fact is he will not be able to enter into that land and enjoy it because he's living in rebellion to his king. But because the king has granted that to him, it's not taken away from his family. The promise is still there. They can't realize it. They don't experience it because of the rebellion and their sin. But the thing has been granted and it won't be removed from them. And so when the family gets their house in order, and when they come under the direction of that king, and when they're living in submission to them, the land is still there for them to occupy and enjoy and experience. It's still there. It won't be taken away. And so God has given this grant through Abraham, and through Abraham to all of Israel, and it won't be taken away from them. There's no condition to it. It's been granted to them. It's theirs to experience. However, they cannot enter into those blessings if they're living in rebellion against the king, if their hearts are not turned to him to submit to him and obey him. and Now, that's also a part of the story of the Old Testament. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.